Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. But this little dink ball, the only one in the crowded area where it's a fist pass, the weight is taken over, hits the ground and it bounces into a fella's chest. Why do you not do many interviews? Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not being asked to do a whole world. Really? Yeah. Have you ever rang me? And they're roaring at me, I coffee, you free state bastard. <laughs> and next thing I hear, you have no fucking jurisdiction up here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're back. We joined the two shows together. We're back for another club season on the GER with two new faces um, for our club season. We've gotten a lot of stick um, down through the last five years of not having a hurling man, a hurling person on the club season. Conan and Connor bluffed their way through. We had Mikey um, at the start of the show who you could kind of qualify being from Wexford, but not, not really. We have a born and bred hurling man from North County Tipperary, Niall McIntyre. Tell us your credentials, Niall. She's bloody, you're putting me under a lot of pressure there <laughs> straight away now. Um, well, yeah, I suppose... I'm a hurler. That should be half the battle anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, as you said, I'm from Lura in North Tipperary. And while we play a bit of football, maybe a bit too much football, we're mad into hurling in Lura. And um, I'm currently playing with the senior team. We're in the Senior B Championship in Tipperary. We're not going great this year, but I suppose you're always hoping for the best and hoping things will turn around. So you've gone from losing a County B County final the B Championship, the old, the old intermediate. You went from losing that final last year to potentially being in a relegation final this year. Well, we're a, lot, we're a bit away from the relegation <laughs> final. We won't, think that, we won't think of that yet now. But um, yeah, we lost the county final to Mullinahone. That would be Owen Kelly's club yeah, last yeah. year. And he scored, I think he scored 2-5 against us, really like beat us on the day. But um, yeah, we're just struggling a little bit this year. But um, just we've a, a game this weekend, so hoping to get the best and hoping to get back on track this, this weekend. Yeah. Well, it's obviously the great Bonner Mars club. So without Bonner, he keeps getting injured. Like what club at senior B level is going to, you know, survive without, well, not survive, but go well without the likes of Bonner. Yeah, well, Bonner, like, was a huge reason why we got to the county final last year. Like, he was he was brilliant for us in the half-forward line. And, like, obviously a player like that, as you said, is going to be a huge loss for us. And, like, I suppose Bonner, like, he's really put us on the map as a club. Like, when people ask you where you're from, you say you're from Lura. Most people don't have a clue. And you say Bonner Maher then, and the conversation starts, kind of. But, um, like, I'm lucky enough to have played with Bonner for the last four years, and he's just 
a brilliant teammate and a, a real like he came back from the cruise ship before that county final and he's another injury now but there's no better man to, to get back from there again Yeah well listen fingers crossed he does get back Lee Costello your, your um, club career is a very interesting one so let me get this right this could be a pub quiz you're a Tyrone man who played his club football in Derry and you're currently playing for an Antrim club in the Down Championship you might explain that to us yeah, um, I'll do my best. Um, I'm sort of like the the tart of GAA club football. <laughs> I'm around. I um, I'm from Tyrone, but I, I'm a little village just outside Cookstown, so it is Tyrone. But it's uh, it would be a unionist sort of area, so we have to share a parish with our neighbouring village, and that village happens to be in Derry. Because in the north, if you drive in a straight line, you know you'll go Tyrone, Derry, Tyrone, Derry, yeah, yeah. Um, especially in Mid Ulster. But so. I they have the Gaelic pitch, so that's that's where I ended up playing my football. But I'm a proud Tyrone man. My family's Tyrone, and um, yeah, playing playing for money more. And I know my dairy football better, maybe in club. But yeah, and at the minute I'm in Belfast, and I live in County Antrim. But my club is the new East Belfast GAA team, and they play in County Down. So yeah, I like to get around. Jeez, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Come here, tell me how's East Belfast going? Like, I mean, have you won a few games? What, what level did you go in at in the Down Championship? Yeah, so we went into junior. You have to start from the bottom. Um, we had a, a tough start last year, 2020. Um, we were just a ragtag of strangers all thrown into the championship. You know, We didn't get a win, but we've been much better this time um, around. We've got a good few wins in the league, and we just won our first ever championship match last Saturday against Agadurg. So, yeah, we're, I mean, we're flying now, and it, it's a great thing to be a part of. So are you like, a, you like when you're trying to recruit players for East Belfast, uh, I'm trying to think it's a little bit like an American club. Do you, do you find lads who are in college in Belfast to say, here, look, do you want to transfer to us? How do, how do you increase your numbers? Or do they contact you? Do they contact you? Oh, they, they contact us. Uh, we have no shortage of numbers. We have three teams at the minute, and like an A team, a B team, and a C team. I think it's uh, 140 registered players, and that's just the main. Not counting the hurlers, not counting the commodes, and then there's the ladies footballers as well. Uh, people have just bought behind the idea, though know, the whole cross community aspect. There hasn't been a Gaelic team in East Belfast since the 50s, and obviously it too being like in a unionist background and everything. You know, there's a uh, it's a strange enough thing. Like, and there's an allure there to be a part of it. But we're full of blow-ins, really, by and large. A lot of people who moved to Belfast for work and university and can't really commit to like traveling home yeah. uh, back to their clubs and stuff. So we're just at their back door and, and they come to us and now we're all part of this, this thing. Very good. Very good. So come here, there's loads of news to get through. I don't, think, I don't think we'll get through it all. We'll cover some of it on Thursday as well. A couple of county champions crowned yesterday. Uh, Niall, I'll start with you. Rapparees won their first since 1978. Um, goals win games, as they say. 618 to 117. 5,000 uh, spectators there, which is a nice change um, from, from last year. Um, deserved winners like I mean I was watching this and it was like it was over as a contest when all those goals started going in Yeah like before the game Willie, I was kind of really looking forward to this one two new teams that we hadn't seen before in Wexford and like I thought it was going to be tight especially when St Anne's were there twice in the last five years It was tight till the first it, water it, break It right? was tight yeah and they, they looked fairly evenly matched but as soon as Rapparees got the goals they settled into it and you could see the kind of confidence straining away from the, the Anne's boys but the whole way through the game the Rapparees forwards I just thought the, the, the three inside men were absolutely brilliant Yeah, 
um, Pepper, Ushin Pepper, and then there was Lenny Connolly and, of course, Ricky Fox. Ricky Fox was... He had an unbelievable game. I think he only scored one, two, but he could have scored about one, five. He was brilliant throwing the ball off, always passing, always looking for the right pass. And as we watched earlier this morning, Willie, he was a brilliant footballer too. Yeah. And he played for Wexford Utes in his day. So he could be a man for Dara Egan to be looking at for the Wexford Senior Hurling team. He's a, he's a, bit, of an all ra- he's a bit of an all-rounder. They're actually current football champions as well. So the whole boat, they're in the, they're in the football this year. I don't know about you, Lee, but I, w- I was watching this and we mentioned... Um, Lenny Connolly scoring 2-1. He was wearing number 16 and it was literally hurting my eyes to see a sub-goalkeeper playing corner forward scoring 2-1. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a strange thing. It, it, it draws EA as well. It's the only thing you can watch. So um, it's a good thing he had a good game because he's the only one anyone would be watching, especially if you were in neutral. I remember Monaghan years ago, they had a number one out playing outfield, um, whatever way the championship numbers had arranged themselves. And it's just... It's a strange sight, all right. Yeah, it hurt. It actually, it, it it annoyed me. I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about it, and I was freezing the television to take a picture to give out about it. I didn't end up doing it um, anyway. So it was nice to see Kevin Foley and Liam Ryan um, getting their 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 county uh, championship medal. Alan Tobin got man of the match. His goal was sensational. Now, like I mean, he barely swung at it and it rocketed into the corner of the net. He's a footballer. He's a serious option for Wexford on that form. Yeah, like the goal was one that stood out, but like even his point just before that, he was running straight down the line and it was similar to the goal in that when you know you have a man coming behind you, it's a difficult shot to take on because you you, you kind of sense the hook coming in. Yeah. But he like, and usually you might throw like a little shimmy to kind of try and get out of there, but he just stayed going straight. He had enough pace, I suppose, to stay going. And the little swing, it was a tiny little swing. Just but tapped it. Straight into the roof of the net, like, and... Yeah, he, he was brilliant. Just lots of energy around midfield and a, a Wexford footballer and definitely another man that could be looking at for the hurlers too. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Mount Leinster Rangers beat St Mullins um, fairly convincingly. That's uh, back-to-back titles. Mount Leinster Rangers uh, players were holding up 10. They won 10 titles in 15 years. They were holding up the 10 fingers. You can only do that if you win 10 in a row. It's completely wrong. I've seen these pictures um, going around, but it's all about the two Nolans. Uh, they scored... I think Mount Leinster Rangers scored 17 from play. Niall, in the first half, they scored 10 of them, five each. They shared it fairly Yeah, the Nolan well. brothers. I think Chris is the, the oldest brother, but he's been a key man for Carlo in the last few years as well, like between himself and Marty Kavanagh. And I think they were kind of building it up as a bit of shoot, a shootout between the two boys in the final, but it never really materialised. Mount Leinster Rangers were just the stronger from the word go. And yeah, the two Nolan boys, 10 points to play in the first half, like that's... Go going for the two brothers inside. There's no doubt about that. And one final county champion. There was a bit of drama in this one. John Myler manages Kill Malo- Kill Miley. Kill Miley. You and got it's it not right my- earlier this morning. <laughs> it's not my first club pronunciation. I'm going to get wrong. But this was a last minute goal. This is heartbreaking. St. Brendan's led until the 59th minute, and Morris O'Connor got a match winning goal. Yeah, I just seen a few of the highlights there and. Morris O'Connor it was the two O'Connors that seemed to be the key men for Kilmiley it was Paddy O'Connor in midfield he was brilliant and Morris was kind of buzzing around all day similar to Ricky Fox in that he was throwing the ball around wasn't selfish and he got his reward with the last minute goal and it was a great win for them I seen the in, John Myler was interviewed after the game and you could just see the hair was nearly still standing on the back of his neck like and the passion he has for Kerry Hurling I know he was their manager back in the day but like he's he, he's, he's been brilliant kind of a servant and I suppose an ambassador for Kerry Hurling in that way like yeah no he definitely has one other big uh, we're not going to spend too much time because we're not we're not a count, we're only a county final um, for those three counties another big bit of news though Lee is that Moorfield have been knocked out in Kildare um, 
Huge news for this. It was a last minute goal as well. So like, I mean, they'd been leading for most of the game. Finish 1-11 to 1-9 and, you know, Ronan Sweeney's their manager. He's got inter-county experience with Sligo and Niall Carew and he went back to his club as a club legend and they lost the county final last year to a tie and now they're out really early in the championship. And, you know, like, I mean, it hasn't exactly gone according to plan for him. No, not at all. I mean, it was heartbreaking stuff too. Even the goal itself, it was from a free kick and they just do what you do when you need a goal to put it into the mixer. And it's, it, it couldn't have worked out better for them. Uh, it was probably for defending. The ball broke um, off the hat, fell to the forward, and he didn't even think about it. He just buried it in the net. Um, no questions asked. And the footage of the goal I saw was from someone recording it on a phone. And their own commentary on it was just hilarious. They were like, oh, my God, it's, it's actually in. It's actually in. And they were running about and it was jumping up and down. So it really captured it um, beautifully. But it was a really big shock, yeah. And... I mean, heartbreaking stuff. You have to feel for them, but but it was per defended. Yeah, Morfield have been the dominant club, as we know, in Kildare for the last uh, 10 years. But Keane and Aine O'Connor, um, who are two very big players for them for the last five or six years, they've gone back to Kerry, as we know, and their father has gone back to Kerry too. Um, we don't know if he has the job yet. We might get to that in a little bit of a minute. But the inter-county boys have been running amok in the club, fo- in the club football and hurling. So we've Austin Gleeson scoring 2-4. Robbie O'Flynn scored 3-3. Aaron Zone were down... I think they're down nine points at halftime to St. Finbars. He pulled it out of bag. Shane Kingston scored 14. Patrick Curran, 2-10. Niall McNamee got 3-8 for road against Ferban. And Ferban are a, are a, are a big club. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of you two lowly club hurlers and footballers, lads, because I have to say it, I'm obviously inter-county, ex-inter-county player, so I don't know any about it. Well, have you ever marked an inter-county player, Niall, let's start with you, coming back from inter-county duty, you've been following him all summer, and now you're marking him. I only have to go back two weeks ago Wally. we played uh, we played St Mary's at Clonmel in the first round of the championship and I suppose like I was I was surprised initially that Seamus Kennedy wasn't hurling like on this starting team for Tipperary this year but against Lura he was definitely out like a man that was out to prove a point and he started off in the in the first half he was full forward and he was kind of drifting out the field so he, he played well in the first half in the second half we said we'll 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 put a man to man mark him, and I was given that job. And while he had a good se- first half, he had a lot better second half when <laughs> I was running after him. But like it was just so I was going out in the second half, and your attitude is like I'm just going to follow this lad anywhere he goes. Like and I like I was thought it was doing. You think you're doing fairly well, like following him everywhere. But there's always a split second where you just. You know, whether you're going for a ball, you think you're going to win a ball here, and he's just gone. Like, and that's kind of, I suppose, the class of the inter county hurler. And I think he picked me for three points there. But anytime you kind of just lost your focus, he was kind of sneaking off and he'd give a perfect pass, something like that. Like, he's a former Tipperary footballer as well, and just a very clever player. And the form he's showing, he was brilliant the last day in the club, too. So, I'd be surprised if he's not a key man for tip next year too. But I've I've a, I've a problem with that in hurling. I've said it on the hurling show loads of times in that man marking in hurling, in football, man marking involves accepting that you might never yeah. hold the ball in your hand. Hurlers don't wa- don't like to accept that, don't they? Not you still want to hurl a little bit of ball yourself, so you will take your eyes off 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 him, and that and and that's the reality of hurling has to catch up, and cornerbacks in hurling have to understand you're man marking him. Don't attack any balls now. I don't think I'll ever be given a man-marking <laughs> job for Laura again. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Lee, what about you? Have you ever had the, have you ever had the task of marking uh, an inter-county player coming back and they're flying it when they come back from the inter-county duty? 
I always remember um, a few years ago, so playing for Money Moore in, in the Derry Intermediate League, Enda Lynn, he was playing for Greenlock, oh, yeah. and he was coming back. And obviously beforehand, the whole talk was about stopping him and how we can nullify him as best as we can. And when you think of Enda Lynn, you think of someone who's like really pacey, really skillful, even, dare I say, like a flair player. But uh, what I couldn't get over was the physicality of him and the fact he was throwing elbows, standing on toes, just everything from the off. And I suppose the mentality behind that is we're in a changing room talking about him being how do we nullify their best player he must know that that's obviously what we're going to be doing so he comes in trying to lay down a marker earlier himself so I find you know when county players come back into the league form or whatever um, they need to like they need to show straight away they're not going to be pushed after or pushed around and don't try to get physical with me just let me play my football or I'll be swinging back and that was very much the case and yeah he uh, he won that one yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's fast Lindo isn't he he's flying Absolutely flying. Um, I remember, I'll give him a shout out, what Warren McCloy, he was, uh, he'd been known for pace um, back in the day, definitely not now. But uh, we thought, I don't care how good a footballer he is, there's no way he's faster than Orr. Um And he was, he was so much faster. It was, it was, it was incredible, like watching him go. He's just as fast with the ball and without it, you know, and, and it's always an incredible thing to watch. It's almost like, like he's gliding. Um, it's really, really hard to stop. Yeah, no, it definitely is. So a bit of inter-county news, lads. So Kerry are hunting for a new manager. We have some reappointments, we have some new appointments and we have some hunt for a new manager. We have a lot of counties actually hunting for a new manager but Kerry have probably uh, the most kind of eye-catching because Peter Keane, who <laughs> saw out his three-year term and he's been told he has to reapply for it, Lee. Um, I don't know, is it disrespectful to Peter Keane? Would you not just tell... It's very... I, for me, I think it's very obvious he's getting the bullet. And if Peter Keane needs to just say to them, here, look, you either want me to stay or you, want, or you don't want me to stay, but asking me to reapply when you're looking for better candidates than me, I don't know. It just, it's, it's a little bit embarrassing for him, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the whole thing stinks, to be honest. And even when they released it in social media, it was like 10 o'clock on Twitter. They were sort of hoping the statement would fly under the radar, I think. Um, but no, I mean, Peter Keeney has to be, I'm afraid he's a dead man walking at this stage because, like, they're basically telling him we're looking for better. Um, <laughs> and say he does reapply and he does get the job, like, wh- what are they saying there then? You know, they're saying that, uh, you know, we don't think you can be the best man for the job, but you're the best of a current bad bunch. So go on and have a rattle, um, which, you know, the carry job's hard enough. There's so much pressure in it. Um, so to go in there actively without the backing of your county board and for it to be public to the rest of the county and the rest of the country, like, it, it doesn't make any sense, to be honest. I think they've handled it really, really poorly. Uh, it's not even the fact that it's like, you know, there's a right way to do things. And the lack of transparency is just incredible. Uh, they should have just released a statement if they don't want them, thanking them for, you know, all the work he's put in, the monster title and stuff like that. And, and, and just make it clean. You know, it's still not nice, but at least it's it's transparent and, and we know where we stand and he knows where he stands and Kerry fans know where they stand. Yeah. The only, the only hope uh, Peter Keane has now if he sacks his entire backroom team kind of shifts the blame onto them and goes, look, I'll, I'll put together a better team. That's the only way he can potentially beat Jack O'Connor and there's talk of Seamus Mine and him with Donny Buckley, which like, for me, that's the, that's the winner right there. Yeah, like as soon as you saw that they were looking for kind of looking for someone new you just think that the man that's there now he won't be staying like and that was my opinion the minute I saw that from Peter Keane like 
Yeah, no, there's no doubt. Brian Cody staying 24, 24th year. Um, Owen Murphy, his whole backroom team is staying. James McGarry, uh, Martin Comerford, Connor Phelan, they're staying on as selectors and coaches and everything that they're doing. Owen Murphy was interviewed. I don't know whether we're, I'm wasting my time reading out a current player who Brian Cody is picking. This is his, I don't know any different than Brian. He's been a great servant to Kenny Hurling. And I think, yeah, we certainly wouldn't begrudge him another couple of years. I don't see any issue with Brian. I'm quite happy with it. Obviously, I'm being picked. It would be a different story if I'm on the bench next year. Look, we're just here to play games. At the end of the day, we're being coached. We're being well looked after. And there are no complaints with the county board or anything like that. So, like, I mean, I was kind of talking last year, Niall, about Brian Cody. You know, it was coming on the back of the humiliation against Waterford, you know, and kind of beaten well by Galway in that Leinster final until a late rally. You know, you talk Galway were the better team and you're thinking, is it time for change? I'm less on that kind of side of it now. They're double Leinster champions. You have Christy Heffernan, the Irish examiner. Uh, I don't know where, how the Irish examiner find these lads giving out about Cody. He's given out saying, why did DJ Carey walk away? Like, I mean, is this complete and utter arrogance from Kilkenny to think they're double Leinster champions? They have a manager that's won them 11 All-Irelands. And there's people who want them to go. Yeah, I was nearly the opposite to you, Wally, in that after the Waterford game last year, I kind of thought it was just a complete freak that Kilkenny were beaten. Like Waterford just, they were unbelievable in that second half last year and just sort of took over the game or whatever. But this year I thought it was sort of just similar. Kilkenny didn't really perform in the semi-final. In the second half, probably. In the second half of the semi-final, exactly, against Cork. And um, I suppose that's where the likes of Christy Heffernan, where he's getting that opinion from. But still, like Kilkenny, as you said, they're double Leinster champions. They were, were in the, they won the league back in 2019 and they're still there, thereabouts. They obviously don't have the, like, the talent that they had back when, when they were winning all these All-Ireland. So maybe it is a little bit of arrogance, but I think it's just... That display they gave against, against Limerick in 2019, like that was the best display I'd say any team have put in apart from Limerick in the last three years. Like. Yeah. And I suppose they're just... like Cody definitely deserves another shot at Limerick because I think if Kilkenny were to beat Limerick, I think that would really, like, they'd be beating these teams like Cork. I think that would really give them the confidence that they need. And they sh- I know Limerick have improved since then, but Kilkenny, like, they're, they're not going too badly, like. No, they're not going too badly at all. What's your take on that, uh, Lee? Like, I mean, 11 All-Irelands, 24 years in charge. I think he's equal uh, Sean Boylan's record. Do, they, do you need a new voice at that stage? Or, like, I mean, at what, I, I don't think they can ever get rid of Brian Cody. Is it Brian Cody? You know, it's Brian Cody's decision maybe to make. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the reward for success should be longevity, you know. I mean, and I think he's earned that, to be fair. Uh, we were in a sort of a similar situation with Tyrone um, and Mickey Hart, but, like, Mickey Hart wasn't even as successful as that. Um, and he still, he got nearly 20 years or just 20 years. Um, and, in, and in the end, you know, they just let his contract run out and, and they didn't extend it. But um, Kilkenny fans, I suppose, it's, it's whether or not they accepted that they are in a transition sort of period, um, and now that there's or at least seeing trophies, like you were saying, um, I, I think the Kilkenny are doing okay. I mean, they were very. That, I know it was a late goal against Cork, but uh, they were so competitive all the way throughout, and then they lost an extra time. But it was a semi-final. Like they weren't a million miles away. No, well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I don't know what they want. As far as I'm concerned, nobody can get near Limerick. So what do you want? Their Leinster titles and all are in semi-finals, you know. Like, I mean, for me, that's as far as Kilkenny can go, no matter who's over them. So it'll be interesting to see um, how they go this year. Michal Donoghue is the favourite to get the Galway job, Niall. Like, I mean, um, 
Davy Fitz is in for two. He's distanced himself. He said he hasn't heard anything, right? But his name is in the mix. Now, whether he's telling the truth or not, but he seems to be standing aside and letting Michal Donoghue, if he wants it, take it. Apparently, Michal Donoghue has, has mended bridges with whatever county board officials, um, you know, that he fell out with. You made a, an interesting point on Sports Show about this, is that even when Galway won the, the All-Ireland 2017, that Galway team at that level cannot beat Limerick in 2021. They're not, that won't beat Limerick. So Galway in 22, you said, are which, without Joe Canning and a whole lot of other um, players will be five years older than 2017. You, you're making the argument for Davy Fitz, what Galway need is something completely new rather than Michal Donoghue, you know, and that 2017 start. Now, maybe Michal Donoghue will come with something new. Yeah, well, while Galway won the All-Ireland in 2017, Wooly, I'd nearly argue that their best year was 2018. They were brilliant in those two games against Clare. And then in the final against Limerick, they played OK, but they weren't able to beat Limerick in 2018. And it's four years on from that now. And there's not too many. I know Galway have had a few successful minor teams, but not too many of them have come on to the team and really, like, starred, like, or made a big a name for themselves. So I think, like, Michal Donoghue, like, uh, the word is the people... From Galway, like I'm only over the border, Pertumna is right beside me, and the majority of them seem to want me, Hall Donahue, and he seems to be the man. So it's his job if he wants it. Like, but right. I just think that Davy Fitz, like I, I wrote that article the other day, and hard as it is to believe, like I've never got as much texts or co- people tagging me on Twitter. It's just that Davy Fitz is kind of he's a very divisive figure, like, yeah. and um, I don't think. A lot of people from Galway don't really seem to want him. Why, why is that? Is it like, I mean, well, there's probably a list of reasons, if we're being mm. honest. Like, is it the game plan? They don't want the sweeper. They don't like the short pass and running game. Is it the drama Davy brings? Is it the fact that Galway mightn't be able to afford to <laughs> afford him? Let's call a spade a spade here. Yeah, I'd say it's a mix between the sort of drama and maybe the game plan. Maybe, like, Davy has always managed sort of underdog counties. Like, yeah. from, like it started off with Waterford did well with them and then it was Clare and Wexford like they've never really been I suppose the traditional and LIT giants. against UL yeah like he's and maybe they sort of think they're above sort of that Davy Fitz kind of underdog thing if you get me like but yeah. I just think Davy the reason why I think he'd be a good man is because he always seems to like whenever he starts off with a team he seems to get a bounce with them he's good to shake things up he has no problem dropping like a big name like as he did in Waterford Ken McGrath and Dan Shanahan kind of struggled with him like he eventually kind of froze them out a small bit and maybe that is like what Galway need need to trust some of these younger players that like have have been winning a few championships and as well as that like I kind of think the Davies style of play I know Wexford struggled with it last year especially in that game against Clare it kind of broke down but I think Galway have like brilliant hurlers I think of the likes of Cahill Mannion um, Joseph Cooney, Connor Whelan. I think these boys would completely thrive in that sort of just that game plan that uses your speed of risk, just quick passes, everything. And I think they'd, I just think it would go well, but my Galway friends don't seem to think so. Yeah, who would have thought it, Lee? People don't want Davy Fitz. I know, I, yeah, I mean, as a neutral, I want to see Davy Fitz back in the game because he's just so entertaining. And then as a journalist, I want him back in the game because there's always something to write about. You know? <laughs> It's just story after story with him. But, I mean, like, he is a spark. Uh, if he was to get the job, he'll either light a flame, you know, which they can build on, or he'll light a full fire and burn the whole house down. But, I mean, one thing's for sure, like, you want to see it. Is, uh, maybe Galway fans, that's what they're afraid of, and they're being a bit cautious, obviously. But uh, I certainly want to see Davy Fitz back in the game. Yeah, I don't know. I think Michal Donoghue, no disrespect to him, he's more of an uninspiring choice, really. Somebody go back in that's been there before. Um you know, it's it, it definitely interesting. Davy Fitz was saying that he's been 
involved in the game for 34 years, 18 as a player and 14 as a manager. And then he says, a break might do me the world of good. And he's manager of Six Mile Bridge or coach of them. Like, he's not taking a break at all. Like, I mean, talk about being addicted um, to Gaelic Graham's. Oh, new manager in Tipperary, uh, Niall, Colin Bonner. Let's be honest, he, it, this fella came out of nowhere, Colin Bonner. I like Colin Bonner. Colin Bonner was managing Ballyhale Shamrocks when I did a GA jackass down there. And he was very nice to me and accommodating and allowed this mess and go on. Bef- I think it was before county final we did it. So he's a very relaxed <coughs> man. Um, probably a little bit old school, would that be fair to say? Matt, it's done good things with Carlo, but it's a much lower level. Liam Cal turned it down. Darry Egan went to Wexford. He obviously got a much better... Uh, package <laughs> going, going to them and Colin Bonner you talk about Brendan Cummins Colin Bonner came out of nowhere really did he? He did seem to come from nowhere because as things were going it seemed it was a two horse race between William Maher and Brendan Cummins and Colin Bonner came in then to take it but to be honest I just kind of think that Colin Bonner is nearly long overdue the tip job to be honest like I know he was in there when Liam Sheedy came back the last time but like he's been he's been around for a long time he managed Waterford IT to six Fitzgibbon Cup wins like and he was there when the tip Camogie team won in All-Ireland as you said he was with Ballyhale like that's a brilliant CV and when Carlo I know it's a lower level but when Carlo were hurling at their best like when they were going well he was the manager and as you said a relaxed manager I was talking to one of the boys from the club who played under Colin Bonner at Waterford IT and um, it was their best Fitzgibbon season they had and he just said that he was you know college hurling it's kind of you want to, you, like you don't want, it's not the be all and end all, like you want to enjoy yourself. And he said that Colin Bonner was very accommodating for that kind of thing. <laughs> like he, when they were coming home, they might be having a few cans in the bus and Colin Bonner like was in the middle of them having the crack and they all just really respected him and hurled for him too. Um, Owen Murphy was on the team that year and they got to the semi-final. They won the following year, but I think a manager like that is the type of, a type of manager that players will hurl for like. Yeah, no, definitely. There's no doubt you have to let the college boys have a few cans or you, you won't be a very popular manager. It'd be interesting to see how he gets on. The big thing with these managers now is who he gets in as coach. You know, who he gets in as his backroom team. They're probably just as, as important now um, as the actual manager himself. So Special Congress has been put back until the 23rd of October. Um, I think that's to accommodate maybe people being able to go, aren't all the restrictions kind of being lifted on October 22nd? I'm thinking maybe it was supposed to be on this Saturday. I'm glad it's not because now it's going to give it give the the championship structure, which is massive, 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 enough time to be kind of debated. The GPA have come in backing the league based championship, and it's very very important to stress league based championship. It's not the league; it's a championship. It's a league championship. So it's a completely different thing. Um, so the GPR coming in behind that, I'm absolutely delighted with that because um, obviously this league championship is my restructure idea. I will give anyone 100 euros if they can find anyone who has suggested this before me. It won't happen because it was me who suggested it. Um, Jim McGuinness, my buddy, old buddy, has been writing in the Irish Times and the article really, really annoyed me, I have to say. like He's starting to get on my nerves a little bit, Jim. Um, so he doesn't like my idea. He doesn't like my idea, which is obviously the reason I'm getting a little bit pissed off with him. Um, so he makes an argument for keeping the provincial championships based on nothing only tradition. Now, Lee, I'm sure you'll have a similar. You Ulster people are very, very, you know, pro your championship, and you're probably right because it's the only functioning one. You know, like I mean, it's the most competitive one, and it's getting more competitive. So there's a huge argument for Ulster people say we want to keep it, but the other three, Ulster doesn't run the whole, you know, the whole GEA. So basically, this league-based championship it doesn't get rid of the provincials; it separates them from the All Ireland Knockout Series. 
right? And instead of the provincials feeding into the All-Ireland Knockout Series, the league uh, feeds into the All-Ireland Knockout Series. So each county has seven championship games in the four divisions against teams of their own level. So you can, like, I mean, it's seven championship games that you have a very good chance of winning the majority, you know, the majority of them. Most teams will say, we can do it. The four teams will come out of division one, two out of two, one out of three and one out of four, and they feed into the All-Ireland uh, quarterfinals. So McGuinness is, McGuinness's argument here is it completely demeans and undermines the integrity of the localised elements of the All-Ireland, which have over 130 years of tradition and stories behind them. You know, that's grand. So he says, there, there's not as many stories about them now in a lot of the provinces because Leinster's a dead duck, Munster's a dead duck, Connacht, two out of the out of the five teams get terrible pastings. So it's a three-horse race and let's be honest, Mayo are ahead of the other two. So like, I mean, other than Ulster, you know, what tradition is there now? Why are we looking back? Anyways, he, he, here's a quote from him. You have to ask, why are we, what are we replacing it with? What are we saying suddenly? With this proposal is that the league matters more um, to the GA than the championship. On what grounds has this been decided? So he's saying that the league matters more to the GA than the championship. But it's like he's completely missing the point. It's not the league as it was. The league will be the championship. You've seven championship games to feed into all-around quarterfinals. It's not the league as it used to be played in February and March as a secondary warm-up competition. This is the league championship. It is the championship. It's just run off on a league basis. Every one of those seven games is going to be a huge championship game for every one of the counties. I can't see any argument um, against it. He goes on... And then says, uh, my fear is that this will be passed. There's a kind of uh, mindless sense that change is needed and it will have major repercussions. The league was always preparation for the championship. Again, Jim, it's not the league. and This is the league in June, July and August or May, June, July or even May and June to feed into the knockout uh, series in August or whatever the dates would be. It will be those league games played in the championship time in the summer so the league will be the championship I don't think he understands it um, he wrote a really long article like I mean the league was always the secondary competition played in in very very poor co- conditions and rightly so it was a it was kind of a warm-up competition he's concerned that the provincials will become the warm-up for this which which might actually happen but the provincials other than Ulster Lee I'll let you have you come in here now because you're probably I'm probably starting to annoy you now the provincials being, you know, three of the four are completely broken. And if you're to, if you're to actually run further, Antrim, Fermanagh and Down have taken terrible pastings in Ulster. So, like, you're talking about six counties wanting, and, and Jimmy being from one of them, you know, maybe wanting things not to change. Yeah, I, I think that is his real issue here. Um, Ulster Championship, it's really healthy at the minute, you know, with some unbelievable games like Monaghan and Armagh was such a thriller and then yeah, now Jim even Jim, Jones run there. Haven't said Jim didn't like that match too much. <laughs> there was too many no, scores. No, he didn't. That's right. He's a problem with high scoring games as well so we need to fix that definitely. Um, but no, I, I think, you know, when you write these ridiculously long articles and the point sort of, it's it, it lost in it nearly. Um, bottom line, what he's really saying is I don't want to lose the Ulster Championship but he knows he can't say that to everybody because it's not fair in the other provinces where there are championships. I mean, they're like you said, they're dead ducks. Um, but he can't pin that to him because we're such a minority. Uh, so he's disguising it under all these like 
philosophies of tradition and, and history and 130 years and then yeah. talking about the atmosphere. I mean, like, I, I think you lose your point a little bit when you just start, like, remin- have these people ever been to, like, um, Killarney and stuff on Championship Day and whatever else? I mean, like, he's not actually saying anything, if you know what I mean. There's, there's no actual, I, I don't actually hear his solution either. And then he does go on to justify that, like, yeah, teams are getting pastings and there is change needed, but I don't really hear his answer. So it is very confusing. Um, you want Ulster, like, the, the joy we have watching Ulster teams play against each other. It's because you're watching the best be the best. There's so many Division One teams in Ulster. Yeah. Um, so if we could see that around the, you know, in, in a bigger scale and teams of similar level playing against each other, you'll see competitive games. Competitive games leads to... Uh, entertainment and then entertainment leads to people wanting to join the GAA and then it just progresses like that and and the, there's there's a ladder as well to claim you know like one year you're winning one division like even if you look at the ladies football you know look at me they were an intermediate uh, team and now they're you know we won the fall All-Ireland and stuff you know because they had that opportunity to claim a ladder I know this is a, a different structure still but I'm just saying that like just because you're stuck in one division for a little while it doesn't mean it's forever whereas I just think if you're in the current situation, if you're at the bottom of the pile, it's, it's nearly impossible to claim. Yeah, So, but here's the thing. Like, I mean, the, the Ulster Championship will still be there. He's saying the prestige, you know, will be affected by it not being linked to the All-Ireland. But, like, I remember McKenna Cup games in January getting 18,000 when our man Tyrone were kind of at a big rivalry. Ulster fans are fanatical. And you're telling me, after not having an inter-county game from the previous August All-Ireland that the Ulster Championship starts in maybe March, the start of March, that those grounds won't be packed out and teams won't want to win the Ulster Championship. Like, I mean, I, I think it's madness to think that if the Ulster Championship is as important as everyone in Ulster says it is, what's the big problem here? Of course, and like... When he, like he, he sort of undermines his own point by saying that because he talks about tradition and people love Ulster football and, they, and yeah. in Ulster, they love going to the Championship and watching the Trump VR games. So if that platform's still there, why is he saying that people won't go to it? You know, the, the opportunity isn't taken away. The trophy will still be the same. You'll still get your medal. You know, in Ulster, we'll know what it means. Um, the players will know what it means. Like, I don't think anyone's going to treat that. Like, I'm not saying it's not... It, obviously, the, the, this new league championship format, that'll be the be-all and end-all. But uh, if, if that's the only football being played at that time in March, they're going to take it seriously. Of course they are. Yeah, of course you have to, because you have to warm up to the big competition, um, you know, the All-Ireland series. And like, you're not going to be trying too many lads out in an Ulster Championship. You, there's two cups up for offer, starting with, the, with this new proposal, if it goes through. An Ulster, a Provincial Championship and an All-Ireland Championship. It's the same as what's there already. So do you have a chance of winning something? Like there's teams celebrate winning the, the early January Cup competition. You have a chance of winning a Provincial title or an All-Ireland. You know, like, I mean, maybe you make an argument to say that Dublin might, you know, because Leinster Championship is so easy for them now that Dublin mightn't take that so seriously. I don't think any team in Ulster, I think that pride of winning Ulster Championship will always be there. Yeah, well, I don't want to give you a big head, Woolly, but I think the idea in general of the teams having more championship games in, t- in terms of the league like is, is a lot better like because the way it was I know it was because of COVID it was only a straight knockout but like to only have two championship games in general is a tough kind of a thing anyway so I think the the, the league sort of championship format it, it would be the way forward Yeah he goes on to say a couple more issues to, to pick up with him he, like Lee the point you made he says 
Dulcer Championship has been fashioned as preparation for the league. Again, it's not the league, Jim. It's not the league. It's the championship. The Connacht final is the warm-up for the league. Again, Jim, it's not the league. It's the league championship. I sometimes wonder if the people behind these ideas, that's me, um, have actually gone to Castlebar or gone to Killarney or gone to Clonus. The atmosphere on these days isn't fabricated or invented. I've been to all those. <laughs> I've been to every one of them. Killarney last year wasn't too good or this year wasn't too good when Kerry were spanking Cork by... 20 odd uh, points like the Ulster ch- or the, the Connacht final was won by 8 points or was it f- 214 to 2-8 6 points like I mean the Ulster Championship is the only functioning one like Leinster Championship is gone all these things are a fact and he has no argument against this league based championship other than calling it the league and trying to run it down based on it being a league that we're used to now which it's not he has that point completely wrong and then he's won two more points that I need to pull him up on he goes on to criticise the All-Ireland quarterfinals he says well one team out of Division 3 one team out of Division 4 will feed into the All-Ireland quarterfinals he says well they'll be hammerings so if we're trying to get rid of hammerings by, by you know we, we will see hammerings they could be hammerings those two teams will most likely play the top two in Division 2 in preliminary All-Ireland quarterfinals, right? They could get hammerings. But is a ham- those two teams will have been promoted, number one, out of Division 4, out of Division 3. They'll have played seven championship games. Mm. They'll now get a prestigious All-Ireland quarterfinal. If they take a hammering, they're, they're, they now see what level they need to get you to Division 2. They've had an incredibly positive year. And that's against a Sligo or a Leitrim getting absolutely hammered by Mayo in the Provincial Championship and going into a qualifier and maybe getting beaten. Like, I mean, there's no comparison. One gets seven championship games before they're... Before, and who's to say a Division 3 team's going to get a hammering off a Division 2 team? It, well, mm-hmm. I don't see that happening. Maybe not even Division 4, depending on who they play. So that is a ridiculous argument as well. Really, I swear, I wrote this and I, I read this and I was just getting so annoyed that this was even... that he'd even put this into print. Then the last bit I wanted to pull, up, pull him up on was he suggested that teams will stay in Division 2 on purpose to have an easier chance of the quarterfinals. And this is a, something I, I had a bit of an argument with Conan um, that worked on the show here with us before about. He suggested the same thing. So here it goes. What Division 2 team has ever won, in all, won the All-Ireland, even in hurling or in football? You have to, the, every manager tells you, you have to be playing the top teams on a consistent basis. Armagh were desperate to get out of Division 2. Mayo want to get back out of it again. Cork are desperate to get out of Division 2 to get up to Division 1. You play the top teams every week or you don't get used to playing them. So for Jim to say that the top teams will decide to go into Division 2, have handy games just to get into a quarter final, and then if they get beaten by one of the big teams, they say, oh, just we weren't playing top-class opposition the whole, you know... It's a, it's a conspiracy, I would call it a conspiracy theory. Um, I don't know, I don't know what you make of that. Yeah, I mean, like the idea is that this is a proposal. Um, so nothing, like, I mean, it's easy to poke holes in it because we haven't seen it yet. I mean, so it's just so easy to ask loads of questions and, and then not give any solutions and just look, make it look really chaotic. I mean, it, it was an easy article to write and to throw things into disarray and make it look like it's incredibly unorganized or whatever. But, um, I mean, it's the hammering thing in particular for me. It doesn't make any sense. But it's like we get like one game this year and it was a paste in and then that's it, season over in terms of the championship. Yeah. You know, but like if you play your seven games and you get to the quarterfinal, then you've earned that quarterfinal. So you've built momentum. You know, you've, you've solved things. Like look at Tyrone this year, obviously at a higher scale, but like the team from the first round is so different to the team that finished. Um, 
you were able to tinker, you were able to play with things, uh, try things out um, and evolve as a squad and the team bonds together, the manager gets to know his players better. And it, it even gives managers a better chance too because you know, they get longer technically, you know, to, to work with the team and really implement uh, the sort of tactics and stuff and the style of play that they want to bring in. So then we'll see the best of these teams when they do reach the quarterfinal. I think quarterfinal, Croke Park, that's when you want to put on display and showcase everything you've been working on all year. And it's not like you're there because of a lucky draw or whatever, you know, you had to earn it. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't understand that at all. I mean, the hammering situation. And then if you get hammered in Croke Park after having a, a pretty decent season, like at least it was a day out for them, and and they got to enjoy a season, and you know kids got to go to more than one game. Um, like it, it just makes sense. And for the county player itself, like I know you know you'd bound to be more interested in playing for your county, knowing that you're guaranteed that amount of championship games rather than um maybe just give everything, spend your whole January, February, March working so hard in the winter and stuff, playing one game, getting hammered, and then being told that you're crap and having to do that again next year. Yeah, yeah. Seven winnable championship games is the big one. And then the prestige of an All-Earned Quarter Final for the fans and for the players. Uh, how, I, I, I gen- anyways, you're, look. You're so angry about that article. I'm surprised you didn't tweet about it. I, I had it written, but it was too much to put in. I couldn't get my, <laughs> I couldn't get my, t- I would have had to do a thread. This and is I'm, the forum. I'm not into threads. I said, <laughs> I may leave this for tomorrow. I'm too angry and I can't fit this into the characters. That's why I didn't tweet about it. But uh, don't worry, I had the article pasted yeah, into the actual box. Um, what's the one finish up on? Um, obviously, we actually had to, had to miss out on a few talking points, lads, because we have to get to Niall Morgan. Um, who's who's waiting by the uh, sympathies to Anto Finnegan um, lads who died at the age of 48 he's former Antrim footballer played cornerback um, he had motor neurons disease and most people will know him he did a lot of campaigning um, for motor neurons disease and set up a charity Deter MND um, huge amount of Tributes have come in from the Dublin footballers, Brian Fenton, Philly McMahon, uh, lots of other ones. He set up a charity match between uh, the Dublin footballers and Ulster, I'm fairly sure. Tributes from Paddy Bradley, Joe Brawley, who, who Anto would have marked. My career would have, uh, you know, crossed across Anto's. I wouldn't be that much uh, younger than him. Very good, tenacious cornerback and deepest sympathies from everyone here on the show to his family and friends. It's a tragic loss and there's nobody that you'd ever meet or I've ever heard of that would say a bad word about um, Anto Finnegan. Uh, very inspirational character. And as I said, our deepest sympathies with his family. Uh, we'll leave it there, lads, and we'll come back with uh, Niall Morgan. All right, delighted to say that All-Ireland champion Niall Morgan uh, joins us on the line now. How does that sound, Niall, a week later? All-Ireland champion Niall Morgan? It still hasn't fully sunk in yet, I have to say. Uh, still a bit surreal, but it's, uh, I suppose it's all the, the hard work has been for the last... The, that was my ninth year, and you were sort of thinking that it was never going to happen, so pretty special. You're back to school today, I can see. You might not know, but I've seen your school. We did a show, I did a show up in Eden Dork last Thursday night before the All-Ireland. I was brought on a tour of Eden Dork, which didn't last long. I saw three things. No. I, I saw the church, I saw the school that Niall Morgan uh, works in, and I saw Darren McCurry's house. That's that's the tour of Eden Dork I got. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even live in Eden Dork, so you, you couldn't even have got to see mine, like, but... They should have brought you to, the, I'm sure you've seen the hall just down the road there as well. Oh, it's, I saw that too, yeah. Uh, that's, that's where the, the new school's going to be going to be built in, in the years to come. So 
uh, it's a real, real hot spot up in Eden Dark. Like. <laughs> I was actually, when I saw Darren McCurry's house, it's right beside the Eden Dark pitch. And I, I straight away, I thought of the league match against Kerry where he, he scored that sideline. And I was like, Jesus, he could never have missed. That's how close his, yeah. his, his house has been. So come here, you just, are you just back to work today or how did the celebrations go? Have they died down now or what's the, what's the story? Uh, I think I think most of the boys have uh, finally uh, realised they have to go back to work at some stage. The, the principal Lynn Dark was really good to me. She she gave me the week off, so I'm I'm just back today. But there's there's great excitement and buzz in, in the school, and we actually had club games yesterday, so it was was back to earth with a bang, and uh, we we were eight points up after ten minutes and bit by points. So back to the. Back to the sob stories and, and the, the usual club life, but it was nice to get back out and play. Not not a left in the tank. I was reading your your um, your diary in the Irish Examiner there, and I, I think you bowed out on the Tuesday night, and then you were saying that the, they yeah. kept going on the Wednesday, and I was laughing reading this because the the some lads ended up on a bus to Belfast, and I was just picturing them all being in some old timers pub, no women in it, and the young lads all going crazy and getting out of here and headed on into Belfast. Am I am I warm? Yeah, yeah, quite warm. Yeah, I, and like there was a few of the older boys went too. Like it wasn't just the young ones, <laughs> uh, but uh, they went. There was boys still going on Saturday night, so I just I'm I'm too old for that that crack. Like and. Uh, two two young kids it's, it's just not worth it for the, the the early mornings yeah you'll never recover from it come here you've done a lot of media since I was looking at your from your diary as well you did BBC Radio Ulster at 8am on the Monday after the Saturday you did Off the Ball then then you did BBC Sports Round Extra um, and then you did a GA social podcast with Conor Myler like were you conscious to do all that I was thinking isn't that fantastic for Tyrone supporters to be able to hear the lads the day after you know or, or two days after were you conscious just of like you know giving something to the fans by doing that media no I'm uh, contrary to what some believe I'm actually quite open and don't mind doing media I uh, suppose one of the more experienced players and like there was a couple of years where I didn't really want to talk because I wasn't playing that well and I needed to concentrate on the playing side of things and but I sort of felt like as I got older it's like a bit of a burden that I suppose one of the, one of the more experienced players to take on and uh, I'm comfortable in, in how to answer questions and I, I don't say too much controversial but I, I like to you know give people an insight into what what I'm really like and I, I know that I've got a bit of a persona on the pitch and I know uh, listen to yourself Wally you've given me a couple of jives uh, over the last few years but uh, <laughs> it's 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 entirely different you know whenever you're you know yourself whenever you cross the white lines you, you sometimes you have to play play the you know what other people feel that you're going to be like and like I'm I'll be quite a, a nervous character so I suppose it gets me out of being nervous and uh, with regard to the media like it sort of gives people a light into what what it's really like uh, to, to walk in my shoes and I enjoy it I enjoy doing the media stuff and I enjoy answering questions and the challenges that it, it, it throws at you and sometimes it, it's actually difficult not to say something controversial because what's going on in your head is a uh, is entirely different to what you say, but yeah, I try to be as open as I can. I, I think like I mean, a lot of people's, int- everybody's introduction to you, uh, Niall, was that game in Bally Buffet in 2013. It was your first championship game. Yeah, you'd played in a league final and stuff in the lead up to that. But the big championship game in Bally Buffet, you know, you were cupping the ears, you were winding up the 
the, the Donegal fans, which was grand, but then you started missing a few frees. And I think a lot of people might have developed a perception of you based off that game. And, you know, I, I actually think it's taken until this year for you nearly to kind of rid that. Yeah, definitely. It's been a, a row that people have beat my back with basically for right up until this year, probably. And uh, to be fair, I probably deserved a lot of the criticism. It was silly of me at that stage. And, you know, it was an experience. And I've said on a number of occasions that I probably didn't feel like I was ready to play county football. But then because I was playing well, that uh, I felt that it was easy. And it, it was probably a good job that it happened early in my career and not not later on. Because if I had I went through that season on skates, God knows what I would have done then uh, the following year. But uh, it, it's nice to sort of get that monkey off my back I suppose and I know I've been no stranger to the you know different things that have happened in games and like you know I'm, I'm no stranger to the, the limelight and the, the uh, media perception but I'd say that's that's the way football goes and like one of the things that somebody told me one time was don't worry somebody will do something next weekend and you'll be you'll be old news and nobody will want to talk about you like and it's a, it's the same whenever you play well like you, you play well for a week and then you know, you're you're forgotten about and then move on to somebody else. Yeah. But like, I mean, you're a bit of a showman. There's nothing to be, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you like to be in the thick of the action. You often strike me that you're bored in the goals. You obviously play midfield for for Eden Dork and you're, you're just mad to get into the action. And like, I mean, I don't see anything really wrong with that. I have to hold my hands up in the Monaghan game. I was saying, where is this lad going? Like, I mean, you were up near the Monaghan 21 metre li- or yard line at that stage. That, that was Peter Donnelly's fault, but because <laughs> we, we had planned for me to, I actually done it against Donegal as well, but uh, it wasn't really noticed as much. But we we pressed out in the gaps where were Patton and then where Rory liked to kick the ball, and uh, I'd, I'd actually went up to fill space, but Monaghan made a sub that time, and Petey's Petey was marking uh, McCarthy, and McCarthy was coming off, and I was screaming at Petey to come out, and Peter Donnelly shared to Petey to stay in nets and for me to push on. Right. And I think it was uh, Woods had come on, and he was he was going to stand and, and let me mark, but begging, he started laughing and started pull, pulling Woods towards. And the more I, <laughs> the more he went, the more Peter Donnelly screamed at me to keep going. And I was thinking, I'd no more want to be up here, Pete. Like you know, it's a there's a long way back if if this ball goes over my head. But uh, I don't think they didn't get uh, anything too much out of it. And it worked out but yeah I can play out for the club and I like to get involved and I like to get in the ball and I enjoy sort of playing that bit of a sweeper role again the experience probably of being able to play it now and that's sort of the role that I play with the club too so I can read the game well enough but yeah Nets, Nets can be boring enough at times if depending on the game but the way the way we've played this year it's been a bit more exciting because we're, we're more man to man and there there is more opportunity to cut ball out whereas beforehand it was very systemated and you were you know you were hard to break down so it wasn't as many goal chances so it was more just kickouts and that's that's not all I want to be there for I want to get involved in, in, in open play as well and do what I can Goalkeepers are obviously getting involved in open play an awful lot more like I mean the sweeping thing is definitely new like the ball you intercepted in the final and came out and then just drove it down you, you were sticking a couple of kickouts on Conor McKenna I think you were gave that ball to Conor McKenna it went through his hands and obviously McCurry with a decent effort we haven't seen goalkeepers kind of coming out to intercept balls that far out before uh, It's just like I sort of try to play on the, the edge of where the other teams kick past you can kick it so like basically that I'm not getting lobbed even though I got lobbed against Kerry but uh, I suppose that's the risk you're taking and 
Uh, I just I back myself that I can read the game well, and you know, might, at times it can be yeah. it can be cocky about it, but um, you know, I've been given the license to do it by Brandon Fergal as long as I keep it simple and don't try anything too fancy, and always try to stay in around the middle of the D. Anyway, it's not that I'm going you know miles out of the net, and I just. The two male players were making the same run that time, and I knew there was only one place you could kick the ball, so it just took a bit of a gamble on, I suppose, and luckily cut it out. And then I had space to keep going, and I kept going. And Connor uh, peeled off in behind, and it sort of we'd we'd talked about a bit of training that if he'd done that, to just launch it over the top, and uh, he flicked it on, and Darren had it, had the goal chance, and it was great save by Rob. But it would have been nice if it had it come off me. Oh, it definitely would have been one of the greatest goals scored in an All Ireland final. Uh, we have to talk about the kickouts in the All Ireland final, uh, Niall, because you have really. Like, I mean, you have totally justified my analysis here on the show because I've been banging on about long kickouts since the start of this year. I think it was the down Donegal game where a kickout was won. Uh, the wing back was dispossessed and a Donegal scored a goal. Now that was, went down as a, a kickout won, but a goal was conceded off it. Yeah. So when you're looking at the stats afterwards, well, we won that kickout. Yeah, but what good was the, you know, what good was the kickout that was won? And I think you've, I don't know, is it, maybe you might tell us who kind of decided on the kickout strategy. Is it left, you know, do you get a good say in it? You know, is it the management? You know, it's very, very obvious that you made a, you know, you focused on going uh, long the majority, you know, the majority of the times. Yeah, well, like we've been probably known to be, you know, a short kickout team over the last number of years and uh, teams are, are pressing us and pressing us hard. And I suppose with, I can kick the ball quite far. So it was more a case of getting the ball over the top of as many men as possible and, like we got absolutely hammered on the the short kick out against Kerry down in Killarney, and uh, in the semi final we went long a lot. And again, like contrary to belief, like uh, against Kerry, I probably was striking the ball a lot better. And against Mayo, and it was just we weren't getting the numbers to the break as quick. And you know, the the analysts after the match, I suppose, tore us to shreds and said that the kick out malfunctioned, but. You know, we played the ball in Kerry's half and it was hard for them to keep pressing up, get back, keep pressing up, get back. Um, whereas, you know, if we had a kept trying to go short, you know, and as you say, you might have won a kick out, but next you know it's turned over and it's a point or it's a goal. And uh, people don't really look at that side of things. And against Kerry, we had probably, we probably lost a lot of our long kickouts, and uh, but they didn't actually score that much off them. Uh, because they they had to break so many of us down, and against Mayo it was probably the same idea. They squeezed us last year in the league game in the second half in particular, and they got a lot of joy out of it. And they, they probably thought of doing the same again, but uh, we we had worked in getting numbers around the break this time, and and it worked out for us. And like we we probably lost a number of kickouts against Mayo as well. But you know, whenever you have midfielders like Con and Brand who can catch or flick on or you know whenever the communication's good it definitely helps like I mean can you see this being a, a decent shift away from these short kickouts now because like they had become so like I don't know in fashion that every team was doing them you, they could have a six foot six midfielder and they're still going short most of the time and the whole idea was that possession is more important than 50-50 and it's like they never thought that right possession of full back line is still a very very dangerous possession whereas if you give it 50-50 if you do win that possession, it is less likely you'll gain possession. But if you do win it, look at the chance you have in front of you. Like you say, Kennedy or Con with a flick down. And if someone runs onto that flick down, you know, you, you, you're bearing down on goals. Yeah, I think I think it has to be mixed up. Like against 
that's probably the biggest difference in Kerry and Mayo game that we we mixed it up and we went short at times and like if you keep pumping the ball long, the other team's just going to sit back and they're going to get numbers to the break as well, and they're yeah. going to constantly gamble. So if if you can mix it up and you know go short now and again, which keeps them, you know, pressed up. But like the like we we would have tended to nearly try to force the short away, and we've got caught in a number of occasions with with that. And whereas I say if you if you go long and you're landing the ball in the opposition's half, and you know even if they win it, they've they've maybe ten of your players to get through, and they have to. You know, work hard to to get their score, and the, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. If you if you're offering up easy scores, and it's easy for the other team to target a, a specific player in a team and nearly leave him free, and it's hard for you to, to turn turn the kick out away. Like if 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 the other team fancy a, a player to get turned over, uh, we have done the throne a number of occasions where we nearly pick a player and and tempt the keeper into kicking it to him because we we know we we'll have a good chance at, at taking the ball off him. Yeah. Uh, whereas whenever you're going long, is it, it might be a fifty-fifty, but this is the first time Thrones, and it, I can never remember it anyway. I got two boys at six foot five standing midfield, and why wouldn't you use them? And then you've got Connor there at eleven as well. You've got Maddie whenever he comes out, and you've got a couple of boys that are actually deceivingly good in the air. Like Petey Hart's brilliant in the air, and, and like he mightn't be the tallest, but he usually gets a mismatch because the whole team's so focused on the the bigger boys. So. There could be a shift, but it depends on, on the keeper's abilities and qualities as well. Like Donegal have been using it the last couple of years. Uh, Monaghan have been using it, like with Rory, and it just I suppose it depends on how far you keep kick the ball and how accurate he is in the shorts as well. Yeah, well, like I mean, you mixed it up. You had twenty four kickouts in the final. Um, you have fifteen of them um, went long. And then obviously nine short. That for me, that's a lovely balance. It's keeping the team guessing, but it's predominantly uh, going along. And one other point on that, uh, Niall, is that uh, like a lot of people say it's fifty-fifty when you go along. And I've just said it. It's just like people say it without thinking about it. You know which side it's going. So you, like, I'm sure you have signals. So y- you have an advantage. It's nearly like a sixty-forty because your players are going to that breaking ball faster than the other team who don't necessarily know where it's going. Would that be fair? Yeah. Well, like we. We don't have actual signals as such, or we don't pick a, a particular side beforehand or anything. It's just you're trying to find a mismatch, and there, there usually is. If you look hard enough, there'll be a mismatch somewhere where somebody's got caught marking somebody they shouldn't, or right. somebody's a wee bit out of position. And I've been sort of trying to work on on disguising the kickouts a wee bit more. I know I hit one to Kieran in the carry game where everybody thought I was going left and went out wide right to him, and it's about it is it's about keeping the other team guessing, and if you can get any sort of an advantage and. Uh, like our boys at training obviously know my kicking style and you know my run-up style and where where it's most likely to be going and then it's a I suppose it, it would be it would be more 60-40 to us if, if they have a fair idea of, of what area they have to get to for the breakdown yeah, I want to talk to you about the semi-final and all the controversy and the build-up up to that. Because uh, I was reading a quote, um, I think it was uh, you were talking about it. You were talking about Brian and Fergal. They said that we don't feel we're capable of it and we're not going to go down and put you boys in the spotlight and go down and get a hammering again because it's already happened once this year and we'll take the flack. They offered it up to us. They said, um, is there anybody against this? And the players spoke. Um, a few things in that is... Um, how many players spoke for and how many players spoke against? What was the the majority obviously were, were it was quite mixed to be fair. There was there was a few boys who were obviously sort of in the squad but not getting much game time. They obviously wanted to play because they felt it was their chance to to get into the team and then there was boys that, you know, 
were obviously still feeling effects and knew they weren't ready. And then there's boys speaking from a purely uh, medical side of things. You know, with like uh, like with with Darren, as I've said before, like Darren doesn't really speak that often. Whenever he does, people listen. He's one of them kind of characters. Yeah. And he just sort of said, "Look, if somebody drops in this pitch, you know who, who's who's going to be to blame for this?" Like and. It was probably the first time that everybody sort of thought about it in, in that kind of way, and it's not as if we uh, we were making it up. It's not like we're saying, "Oh, there's there's eight boys with hamstring strains, or quad strains, or groin strains, or whatever, or twelve boys are concussed, or whatever." It's it was a pandemic, and I know we we did get flack for it, and we we took a big chance by saying we weren't going to play, and you know maybe we did have a fair idea that the GA would would still play the game, and we we took the risk based off that, but. It's a the the medical evidence was there, and who are we to, to to argue with that? And you could put on the bravado and say, "Oh, well, we want to play the match and and go and play it." But it's it's not about that. Sometimes you have to look at the bigger picture, and you know, if if we can't, if at that stage the, there was a lot of measures in place and restrictions in place, so you know, if it if it had been, you know, I know the the restrictions are opening up a lot in the south now in, in the middle of October, and if it had been after that, we we probably wouldn't have a leg to stand on, but. Um, on hindsight, now it worked out for us, and, and like it's it's probably still going to be a contentious uh, moment for a lot of people. But it's happened, and there's been plenty of moments in, in years gone by that things have happened, and thankfully we came out on the right side of it. So, like I mean, there were seventeen. It's well publicised. Seventeen people had tested positive. How many of those seventeen were sick? Like I mean, I think you had it, and you weren't sick. You were, you know, going around. You just tested positive. Con- Connor Myler as well. So, how many were actually sick? Out of the seventeen, it, it's genuinely hard to know because boys were isolating, and you just you didn't ask. You just assume, you know, right? He's positive, and that's the way it is. I know there was a few boys came back to training, and they genuinely looked ill even after their their isolation. And you were sort of thinking, "Gee, like, you know, the whole point of it is you, you mightn't be sick." on the outside or you might have symptoms but you don't know what it's doing to the inside of your body and you know that's the whole point of the isolation and like I, I wasn't sick yeah I had a runny nose and a bit of tiredness but I, I wasn't like it was like I thought it was hair fever basically and uh, but like whenever I came back like you're out for 10 days you haven't trained for 10 days you've lost that wee bit of sharpness a bit of fitness and like I know I'm only a goalkeeper, but I was feeling tired after trains and stuff like so. For to put boys in the spot and tell them to go and play against Curie whenever they were going to be out of isolation for a couple of days just would have been would have been madness. And um, I, I like everybody in a way wanted to play the match, but we, we had to we had to be sensible about it too. Like yeah, so I suppose just the the, the extra week because most people agreed you, to to give you a week. I I was critical of giving you another week. Like I mean, what I was wondering is on that Saturday, the first week, you know, how many would have been uh, too sick to have played that day? How many would you have been down that Saturday that couldn't have been able to tag out that day? It's hard. It's hard to say because as much as boys were training, would they've been able to play a match? There's not a chance of it. Like you know, there was. It's, it's hard for, like I said, I'm not a doctor like you know I can't pick and choose and decide where, how how boys can play or how sick they are or whatever we 
we just made the call and said that we weren't we weren't going to be able to field a team that was that was capable of winning. So what what was the point, like? And then people said, "Oh, surely there's 26 boys in throne," but it's not the point, like. It's you know, you can't just start saying, "Oh, should they're half fit or such and such can come in." He played a trial game last year, and it, it's it's not the point. It was us standing our ground saying, "Look, we're not fit to play, and we're not going to play, and we weren't willing to." to take a backward step I suppose and say it did work out but you know that was us standing our ground the GA could have stood their ground Kerry could have stood their ground but they they were willing to, willing to give us the extra week so we weren't going to complain Yeah and you got your siege mentality out of it which you Tyrone boys absolutely love as well so <laughs> it all worked We never, never have a siege mentality <laughs> <laughs> You kind of live off them it's like Tyrone against the world don't you like whatever way you like to tap into that it, it is thrown against the world, though, isn't it? <laughs> well, you were, talk, you were talking about Tyrone's reputation, I was reading, since the final, and you say, I say we have a fair bit to play for that ourselves. We're not a clean-cut team. Well, maybe we are a bit now compared to what we were in the past. So maybe i go along with that as well. You know, the press around Tyrone, COVID thing aside this year, has been just overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, like, it's, it's a bit like, I suppose, like, even my career, I suppose, like, like we, we mentioned at the start how... Like at times are sort of changing, and people are starting to realise that this isn't the same tone team as as before. And there might have been a nastier streak in it, and like you know, maybe it's, it's like mud sticks, I suppose. And uh, but I always just laughed because every team that we played were just as bad as us, and you were getting just as much grief as we were given. And it it always seemed to be our things that were highlighted. And I suppose like. In a way, it, it it added to as you say a siege mentality, but in another way, it was it was kind of laughable that you know it was as if you know Tron are the the only people that do this sort of thing, and they're a disgrace, and they're always a disgrace. And but it it was kind of funny at times, like I have to say, like seeing people getting so angry over it, and like we were we were just we were just playing football. Like if you, if people came to club games and Tron, they would they would really get their eyes open, like because. It's dog eat dog. Like like there's like Brian and Connor marking each other yesterday in midfield and uh like after playing midfield together all year, like and like there, there was no way holding back or anything, like or if Brian came to tackle me or Darn or whatever and like it's just that's just the way we are. Like it's it's dog eat dog with thrown and you know, if you want to play nice we'll play nice, you want to play nasty, we'll play nasty and it's we're we're happy to go either way and you know, this year we've really added the sort of open football style to it as well and show people that if you want to go defensive, we can do that. If you want to go and play open football, we can do that. And uh, we, we've done it this year, but that's not saying going into next year that, that things could change. Like, and, you know, we could go and get two or three hammerings and that's that's the joys of football, isn't it? Like last year we got hammered by Galway uh, and then we turned around, we beat Kerry maybe and then we got beat by Monaghan and then we turned around and beat Dublin and... You know, it's just the jo- the joys of football, and that's that's why we love it. Things can change so much overnight. Yeah, two more questions for you before you go, because I know you're under pressure for time. Um, I have to say, I'd say you're related to a lot of people. This is from your diary in the Examiner as well, which was very good. Um, I have to say, you ate cocoa pops and orange juice f- uh, the morning before the match for breakfast, and then most impressively, you had a barbecue chicken baguette. Um, with some peppers and cheese for, for your lunch. You just got yourself a chicken roll in a in a petrol station or a news yeah. agent, I presume. This yeah. is uh, how yeah. many players around the country can relate to that. 
No, well, there's not too many would, would openly say it. I think there's, there's plenty could relate to it, but there's there's a lot of them hi- hiding it away and hiding their their food diaries. But look, uh, I'm sort of well known in our squad for just eating what I want when I want. I don't I suppose as a goalkeeper I can get away with it a wee bit more, but I don't really think that. Yes, it's important what you eat, and you can't be eating like really bad stuff all the time. But I think sometimes it gets blown out of proportion, and people, you know, are eating foods that they don't even enjoy, and it just. I just don't get that at all. Like, there's, there's, there's more to life, and like you're burning off enough calories and stuff. And you know, if people are going to tell me that what I ate the day before one game is is going to really, really affect things that much, you know, they're definitely spoofing. Like, it's, it's, it's more like to me. It ha- you have to be comfortable. You have to be eating stuff you enjoy, and you know, what I eat really reflects my mood. Like, if I'm eating something that I like you know, I'm happy and I get on with things and see if I'm forced to eat stuff that I, that I, that I don't enjoy. Like it's, it's a constant battle. Like, and I'll complain and I'll moan and I'll be in everybody's ear. Wasn't that rotten and wasn't that nice? And, you know, we should be eating something else and next, you know, I'm bringing the mood of the camp down. So just like, to me it's just just let me eat what I want and I'll be happy and everybody can get on with things like. Yeah I think we could have a lot in common here Niall uh, there's no doubt about that but one point yeah. you did make about it which I thought was interesting is the day before in All-Ireland you're already nervous so food isn't high up in your prior, you know list of priorities you have to force yourself to eat anyway so why not eat something that's tasty than something that's absolutely rotten Yeah like I'm like as I said earlier like I'm, I'm a nervous character and I remember the the Monday before the the curry game, like the curry games on the Saturday, and I'm eating my dinner, and and Kira said to me, are "You all right?" And I was just like, "The nerves are going already here. Like I am, I'm starting to panic." And like that was on the Monday, like so I'd still got four or five days of that ahead of me, and like all week I just ate what I wanted, just just to get food in my stomach. I just needed energy, like so. What's yeah. what's the point me wolfing down dry pasta and dry chicken and all this? crack that you see people eating like it's just to me it doesn't make sense like you know get energy in like it wasn't that I sat down to a plate of chicken goujons and chips for curry sauce like which I had inquired about getting before games <laughs> before like just just to test the water but uh, no it's to me you have to be comfortable and you have to eat what you enjoy and that's just the way I go yeah final question what do you be fighting with Cottle McShane about in training you, you were talking <laughs> about that on the field after the match Oh well, like we've never actually came to blows, but we're just so competitive. Like and like, Cahill would be like calling for free kicks, and I'd be telling him to get up and telling him he's diving and stuff. And he'd be, you know, chipping me, and I'd be saying, "Would you do that in the match?" And you know, it's just, it's just ongoing war words. Like, but we always shake hands at the end of training and, and get on with things. And like I know I said he's more mighty. That was maybe a bit harsh. Like, but uh, we we do get on quite well, and we get on well with everybody on the team. But I'm. Like I'm ultra competitive. Like if if I had been asked about ten of the odd players, I probably would have give the same answer that I'd be fighting with them every night of training. And, uh, I just I'm so competitive, and I, I'm probably one of them sort of people that rather than talk about all the positives going on, I like to address the the things that aren't going right and and get them sorted because I just don't get why everything has to be everything that's said has to be positive and you know pat in the back and you done really well there whenever you know something else needs tidied up and I think. You know, that's probably what's helped us this year, like Pete uh, in particular and Collie and Joe and then Des with myself, like the, all the coaches, like they're not afraid to address what's going wrong and, and, and spot and fix. And, 
you know, Pete's brilliant in training where he, like, if somebody does something that was really ridiculously silly, he'll just blow the whistle and tell them to give give them the ball back and tell them to think about what they're doing and we'll restart. Like, and um, that's just, that's the way I am anyway. I like to address things on the spot and I suppose sometimes me and, me and Kjell just clash over that and me and Sluddy clash over that and me and Matty clash over that and me and half <laughs> uh, the team clash over that. But that's that's just the nature of it. And I say everybody shakes hands at the end of training. We know it's for the better. We we know that it's it's only improving things. So there's there's nobody uh, actually fell out or anything. So this this is just incredible that not only when Tyrone players make inter-county level and play other counties, they like to be really ultra-competitive, a bit of trash talking. Not only club football in Tyrone is ultra-competitive and a bit of trash talking. The A versus B games, the county training turns into ultra-competitive yeah. trash talking. <laughs> we, we, we had to stop playing AVBs because the Bs we saw was hammered A's and give us a serious mouthful. So it was a... It, that had to stop. So now, now teams are just mixed, and you have, you have bibs and non-bibs just to to try to keep things in an even keel, like because people were looking jerseys, and <laughs> some nights it got it got it got hot and heavy. And like I always said, you could charge into into our uh, in-house games, like they're they're lightning fast and they're aggressive, and they're everybody's looking to start. And I suppose the same in every county, but it's that's that's why you're there, and that's why you want to be there, and that's why you continue to play. Even at this stage of, of my career, that's why I can't wait to get back come come the start of the year. Yeah, exactly. Well, come here, listen, I've taken up enough of your time. I, I know you're in school. I could have talked to you for another hour um, about different uh, things and football and everything. Come here, congratulations on winning the All-Ireland and having a brilliant year. You're a shoe-in for an All-Star. You might not like to admit it, but uh, you're, 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 that's the best year you've ever had. And congratulations um, on it. Thanks for uh, joining us on the show now. No problem. Thanks very much. Thank you. Great stuff from Niall there. All right, that's it. That's all we have time for today. We'll be back on Thursday as usual and we'll talk to you all then. Good luck. No such thing as a media ban. We don't have a media ban. Ah, you do? No, we don't. A donkey eat and a donkey eat a palace. <laughs> there's, there's nothing else to eat. He was massive. Legs, <laughs> ass, filth. But I burst out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.